grown accustomed then to asking for attention, asking for a meal, for the thing I almost feel. Don't expect the true or real. Just grow accustomed. 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 joined today by a special guest one of our favorite not only composers but favorite people here at broadway radio and that is the uh, award-winning multi-talented not just composer but performer as well andrew lippa andrew thank you for joining us today thank you for inviting me well we we've talked with you before about previous projects and when word came out that your latest, it's a live album with the uh, San Francisco gay men's chorus was being released in February. We thought we had to talk to you about this. This is unbreakable. It's available now uh, on Amazon and all of the other different um, services that people can get music nowadays. I don't exactly know what all of them are. They're much too <laughs> yeah, technologically they're, they're, difficult. They're, they're, for- there's so many now uh, there's one on Mars. Um, <laughs> it's also you mentioned you do mention you do mention it's a live album, and it's so wonderful about the way we were educated in the, the English language that when we read that, we don't think it's a live album, which <laughs> would be like if if I said to you live album, you know, like some of us actually take that as an edict, you know, like Evita's yeah. running in my mind all the time, you know. So <laughs> I sort of, what would Evita do, you know, when I go to the grocery store? Well, I just want to point out that I, I, I'm only a radio star with just one weekly show. Uh, but, but speaking as one of the people, I want you, you probably to probably want me to know. Yeah, <laughs> what, what is it that you want me to know? Or well, we should probably stop this. I will have you know that Adam Parker, my best friend in high school, and Jeffrey Seller, my best friend throughout life, sat in the back of a school bus after graduation, after the class of 1981 graduated, and the concert choir sang at their graduation. And Adam and Jeffrey and I said, let's start at the beginning, including the funeral music, and let's see, let's sing through the entire, yeah, like who wasn't gay. Let's, let's, go, let's, go, let's sing from the beginning and see how far we get by the time the bus gets back to school. And then when the bus got back to school and we were only sort of in, you know, I would be surprisingly good for you. Then we said, I know we were going to get together like a half an hour later after we got out of our suits and we were going to get together and go to Denny's. And I said, let's all keep going and see if our tempos are consistent. (laughs) Well, were they? Well, there was no way to prove it. That was really the hardest thing. When when somebody showed up with a new Argentina and somebody else showed up with high flying adored, I'm like, you went way too fast. You went way too fast. There was no way we were going to get the high flying adored in half an hour. You know, uh, not to get too nerdy here, but wasn't it uh, uh, wasn't it Isaac Newton? Isaac Newton who used tempos from music to measure uh, velocity. Uh, 
I think no, that's that's too sure nerdy. it was. That's too nerdy. Yes. <laughs> that's too nerdy. Did I go too, too far? Yes. I'm going to go sit in the yeah, corner. Let also, Matt take over. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Didn't Isaac Newton also have a song like "Ooey Gooey Chewy on the inside, Benjamin <laughs> Richard on the on the outside"? Yeah, that was Isaac Newton, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I sure. love the Newton cookies. Everything comes back to cookies. Yeah. 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 Isaac Newton, uh, Isaac Hayes, they're all the mission, same to me. We have a mission. My my press rep's going to be so mad at me. We have a mission uh, statement. What are we? We're supposed to be talking about Unbreakable. Yes, we are. And uh, what I before we got off on the Avita tangent, which was wonderful as it was, <laughs> I, I was gonna. I, I really liked that idea of the the difference between a live album and a live album because what Unbreakable really is is talking about real life stories that have been lived by the people that are singing them in your you know the characters that are singing them uh, but they're stories that for the probably the vast majority of people um whether they are lgbtq citizens or not they're not the most well-known stories and and i i'm really kind of fascinated about how this project came together i know you've had a, a long history with the san francisco gay men's chorus and this was to celebrate their 40th anniversary but how did the idea of of putting this history together in song form of all things uh kind of come together well thanks for asking that uh question because uh the the notion of the genesis of how a piece like this comes about I've always found it interesting as both an artist and as an observer. And um, in 2011, as far back as 2011, I got a, an email from the music director, the then relatively new music director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus named Dr. Timothy Seelig, who I did not know. And Tim asked me if I'd write a five-minute piece celebrating the life of Harvey Milk. They were going to do a concert a year and a half later celebrating Harvey Milk in all, in all, uh, in all ways and asking a group of composers to write a short pieces about Harvey Milk. And I said, you know, I don't want to write a five-minute piece. I want to write a 60-minute piece. And uh, I don't know what gave me the audacity, but there was something about the idea of connecting with a world-class performing organization like the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, doing something with a chorus, which I, I love choral singing, and being able to express my gay identity through singing. I've never really actually done that. I've never written a musical about being Jewish, and that's been a very large part of my identity. So I've never written anything about being gay. And Tim, after talking to their commissioning partners, uh, agreed, and I Am Harvey Milk was born. We did it in 2013. 30 more choruses have done it around the world. We've done it at Lincoln Center. We've done it with 700 singers in Denver. Um, it's been a, an absolute a thrilling thing to be a part of. We recorded it. And so when it was time uh, for the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus to celebrate their 40th anniversary in 2018, about a year and a half before that, Tim called me and said, what do you want to do this time? And we were friends, <laughs> of course, at this point. And at this yeah. point, I, I'm also an ordained, I'm an ordained interfaith minister. I went to seminary uh, for two years and graduated. Actually, I graduated from seminary two weeks before we premiered I Am Harvey Milk. And I was oh, wow. the uh, minister at Tim and his husband's wedding. Uh, in it, somewhere in between 2013 and 2016. I can't remember what year it was. And so Tim is, and I are very close now. And he said, what do you want to write? And I said, I don't know. Let me think about it. And I don't know why, but the first thing I thought about was August Wilson. And I thought about August Wilson's oh. cycle of 10 plays that concentrated on uh, his, uh, through his lens uh, about the African-American experience in America, what, what is sometimes called the American century, the 20th century. And 
Um, we all know Fences and some of the other uh, well-known plays, but he wrote 10 plays, and each of them set in a different decade. And I thought, who has done this in the gay community? And I couldn't, couldn't put my, I couldn't name it. I could, didn't know of such a piece. And I thought, is it possible to do that kind of chronology that doesn't feel like a history lesson, but at the same time is celebrating and mourning and everything in between uh, our LGBTQ experience collectively, where we would make the central character the LGBTQ community. That's the central character, not an individual, but a collective. Mm. And there's something so powerful about that when a collective, namely the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, sings as individuals. Sometimes I write the point of view of what the chorus sings in the eye. They're in the first person. And suddenly the piece was possible. And I started doing research looking for stories that people didn't automatically know because that's my job as an artist is to, I mean, I, I've heard that message lately several times. Alfonso Cuaron said it when he won one of his Oscars the other night. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Netflix is doing a whole um, uh, media campaign at the moment, uh, talking about telling stories that, that ha- haven't been told that need to be told. And they often deal with the people who have been pushed to the margins in society and, members of the LGBTQ community are certainly aware of that feeling. And so I went after stories that I thought people would be interested in, or really, to be perfectly honest, the stories I was interested in. And um, that's how Unbreakable was born. When you go into a project that is as epic and massive as this, and well, first off, is this in terms of scope, would you say it's the biggest thing that you've ever written? I, I can't, I can't think of something. Yes, I, I can't, I can't think of something in terms of, of um, uh, ambition uh, of something, anything bigger. I mean, it certainly takes place over 120 years of American history. It, it also, it also dangles its feet uh, perilously close to, um, uh, to 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 documentary and and therefore there's a there's a genuine responsibility that I felt to be accurate. So even though even though I'm fictionalizing, there's a movement called uh, the Room Next Door, which is about Lem Billings, who is JFK's best friend from their their um, high school or middle school days. And uh, Lem Billings ended up having an office in the White House, and though, though no real official position, and was clearly gay, though not out. And there, there's, there's a lot we know about Lem Billings and what his relationship with the Kennedys were, but there's a lot we don't know. And it's the stuff we don't know that makes me curious and makes me want to write. So the room next door is a guy singing about how he was in the room next door. I was the guy next to the guy. And I was the guy who kept, you know, kept being asked to be part of this thing. And then there's a whole moment in the piece where Jackie Kennedy appears and says, you know, maybe you should take a break. Maybe you should meet a girl. And Lem kind of breaks and goes, meet a girl. You know, what the hell? And and that deflates him and makes him makes him change when he thinks about being the guy in the room next door. Um, You know, he concludes that if that room becomes my tomb, it's better than most. That room next door to Jack uh, where where uh, the, that where I stay, the greatest friend, the JFK, 
And um, it ends triumphantly, but sadly triumphantly. And did that really happen? Did he have that thought? Of course. How do I know? So there's a, there's a fictionalizing going on inside the truth telling. So when I'm telling the truth about Silvio Rivera, one of our greatest um, trans activists, I want to be sure I get that which I can get right. Yeah, that's that's so fascinating. And that's something that we hear a lot um, when things are fictionalized, whether it was like the the Steven Spielberg movie of Lincoln um, or even something like Hamilton. And this it's like, how do you blend true historical truth telling with some sort of artistic narrative and have them both still be true, even if you can only really verify one of them? And that's fascinating to hear how important that was for you to not only get the history right, but it seems like to get the emotions and the characters right, even if you had to take some artistic leaps as well. Yeah, and, and, and in some ways I put myself, it, it, I, I, well, not in some ways, in every way when I write characters, I put myself in them. Uh, you know, the characters I write in my musicals, I, I have to be there somewhere. Andrew Lippa is lurking somewhere inside the, that thought because that's just the nature of the, the, the transfer from my brain into the creation of a character. Um, and, and, my will, and, and in, a, in a sense, I kind of liken it to character acting. It's the notion of Christian Bale becoming Dick Cheney. Like he's still Christian Bale and he kind of looks like Christian Bale, but he looks like Christian Bale looks yeah. like Dick Cheney. And there's this notion of, you know, oh, the actor, they, they disappeared inside the role. And, you know, the truth is that's the writer's job as well, to disappear inside the role. And so um, the, the, and what a great line of questioning, by the way, I haven't actually talked about this, which is that, that notion that, you know, my responsibility, particularly in this kind of a piece, um, and it was, as it was in I'm Harvey Milk, none of the things in I'm Harvey Milk that were uh, emotional were things that I knew for sure, um, but I did talk to people who knew him, and I did um, the same with Unbreakable. I talked to people in the trans community who are members of the chorus. I mean, imagine that, like, they have a they have a challenging enough conversation in, uh, uh, themselves because they have members of the trans community. They have people who um, have transitioned or are transitioning um, from um, identifying as uh, female to identifying as male. And yet it's a men's singing group. And it's, a, you know, and, and, and so there's the question of, it, you know, RuPaul had to deal with this as well, this notion of, you know, and she and she stumbled a little bit uh, in the question and in dealing, you know, figuring out because it's very new. It's very, very new to those of us who haven't had the experience. So with in relation to that movement, which is the, the penultimate movement of the of the whole uh, evening, it's called Sylvia. It's a real celebration of um, uh, of uh, uh, of trans people and, and a celebration of this particular person who was kind, very, what the hell, who cares what you call me? Just like, treat me like a person. <laughs> and yeah. I had to go through quite a bit of revision. I talked to a lot of people in the trans community. There was a real active dialogue before I would commit to actually, you know, commit to what it is because I wanted to be sure that I got as close to what is true and what feels true to people who are in that community. I know. 
Andrew, you uh, talked a few minutes ago about immersing yourself in the character. And along those lines, I want to uh, modify a question that is very often asked of uh, composers. Uh, rather, rather than asking what comes first, the lyrics or the music, uh, I want to ask first, do, uh, do the characters come first before you come up with uh, the, the underlying theme music that is associated with the character? Or, or are you, do you have a feeling or a notion of the music and you say, oh, that's going to fit this character better? Or what's your process there? Well, of course, you know, the, uh, the answer to the what comes first, the music or the lyrics, and the answer is always the contract. That's the old, <laughs> at, that's the yes, very, very old saw of a joke. Um, I, I believe over the years in talking about musicals, and you know, my, my life has been devoted quite happily so to, to telling stories through music and lyrics. Um, and I avoided using the word musical there because there are things we call musicals and the things we don't call musicals, but they still tell sure. stories through music and lyrics. And, um, I, um, in, in, in all of my personal observation, there are two things that I have found that, that make the best experience in the theater from an observer's point of view. One is, is action that enough, enough, uh, there needs to be enough event there needs to be enough things that happen that engage me in what's in, in why I'm in the room to begin with. And musicals that are, that don't have, that are, are, are a short on event and, a, and, and long on talking about things tend to lose my attention. And second connected to that is why I'm interested in the events is because character to me, character is king. And people always say story is king. And I, I, I disagree with that. I think character is king. And um, if you remember, again, go back to television example, TNT did a, a big uh, push for many years that was like uh, where characters live or something like that. Yeah. There was some sort of tagline about characters. You know, that was why you watch TNT. And, um, but I, I do believe that. And I do believe that uh, when you have characters, the audience, it, uh, can you relate to in some way. They don't have to like them. They just have to relate to what the characters are going through. I don't think everybody likes Sweeney Todd, but we all can relate in some way to what he went through because he was wronged and he's seeking justice. And, um, and you know, I'm sure there are some people who also go like, I don't care. He's still a bad guy and I don't want to watch that show. But that's, no, you know, those are outliers. I think most of us in the musical theater world will tell you Sweeney Todd's masterpiece. And um, my experience of, in particular, of shows like that with thorny characters or characters who do bad, quote unquote, bad things, it's tough in the musical theater. There aren't a lot of gangster musicals where, where they're not, it's not silly. You know, it's like where it's not playful or silly yeah. or it's sort of not quite real. Guys and Dolls is real, but not quite real. And you can't do the, you know, you haven't seen the Sopranos musical, you know, it's, that's really <laughs> tough to do. Yeah, I mean, we laugh because it's really tough to do. That's why vampires are hard to do on stage as well, because it's hard to get behind a vampire. In real, <laughs> yeah, in fact, never get behind a vampire. The Especially if there's a mirror. In front of the vampire. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly. You can't stab them from the back. Um, so, <laughs> so that is, um, so choosing characters inside a piece like Unbreakable, there's a movement in Unbreakable called Already Dead, 
which is the story of a boy named Cyril B. Wilcox, who was a student at Harvard in 1920, who was called up by the establishment of Harvard University when they put together what was known as the Secret Court of 1920. And the um, president and all of the people who worked for him were actively rooting out homosexuals or suspected homosexuals in their faculty, staff, and student body in 1920 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And this boy was called up on of being suspected of being, uh, uh, it was called uh, guilty, well, he was suspected of homosexual uh, practices. And he was having an affair, uh, in truth, he was having an affair with an older man who lived in Boston, a man in his 30s. And this 20-year-old boy was publicly shamed, was ousted from the university, and the president insisted he write a letter to his parents explaining what happened. And then the president followed it up by writing another letter to his parents saying, I'm sure he's told you all about the matter and I'm confident that he will do so if indeed he has not done so already. And this boy committed suicide um, as a result of being uh, expelled from Harvard for being uh, guilty of homosexual practices. The reason I mention it is because it's a character I was deeply compelled by. And the chorus plays a character and they play the character of the, the judge and jury. And they, they spew Leviticus, actually. There's a whole passage from Leviticus. If you will not um, uh, do all my commandments, then I will, I will visit you with wasting disease. And it's such an incredibly powerful um, and horrible um, translation from any English language translation I've found. They say wasting disease or something close to it. And it, it, to me, it was holy crap, that was one of the lines that people used to justify the existence of AIDS and, uh, and its terrible effects on the gay community. And I thought in 1920, it's believable that this group of judges who were professors or whatever, they were local business people that were brought to this fake court would, would sing uh, or recite Leviticus to this boy. And, and it's just overwhelming because there's this one man facing 300. So there's the, the, the scale of doing something like Unbreakable is thrilling to me because it's certainly not something you can imitate on a Broadway stage. Leviticus is a pretty uh, dark chapter. <laughs> There'll never be a Leviticus colon the musical exclamation point. No, I, you're wrong about that, actually. Um, Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe um, before they wrote Camelot, they had a melody that went Leviticus, but I'm thump, thump Leviticus, but I'm thump where one should never been and facing disease. Yeah, so they tried that first. Oh, I see. Um, that was their uh, trunk song for. Uh, don't never, mean to correct you. I don't mean to be bossy. Never All made right. it out of uh, Boston there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so does so, uh, I, I see in. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I see that uh, uh, Unbreakable is going to be presented by 10 or more choruses across the country in the 2019-2020 season. So not only is this uh, uh, an album that you can get from Ghostlight, but it's also uh, something we can go and see in person. Uh, uh, do you know more about uh, where we'd be able to see these things? 
Uh, yes, um, it's being uh, the whole uh, of Unbreakable was a co-commission by um, uh, eleven choruses, including um, oh. the one the, the ones coming up are in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Twin Cities uh, at the end of March. Um, the Capital City Men's Chorus, which is in Austin in May, um, it's going to be it's going to happen in Denver, in Charlotte, in um, South Florida. They're they're in Fort Lauderdale, I think, uh, Washington D.C. There's there's a bunch of other ones. And in fact, um, just yesterday, um, we uh, are setting up a website um, that will have the information. Um, on it. So um, I don't have the name of the website yet. It's so hot off the presses. So um, I think we're calling it unbreakablechorus.com um, it, or it might be Andrew Lippa Unbreakable. It'll be either of those, unbreakablechorus.com or andrewlippaunbreakable.com. And we're going to p- post all of the uh, all of the productions that are coming up and uh, links to those websites so people can Go see it around the country. Also, there is something I cannot talk about on your program, and so it's terrible to do this sort of thing. It's like you might, you might not have cool. cancer. We're not sure. You might have cancer. You might not. Um, <laughs> um, what? What? I am Jewish at heart, after all. That's like the most horrible thing, you know. Um, no, uh, is is um, New York City? There, there, there is. Um, there's a plan afoot, is all I will say. All right. And, uh, it will. It'll be. It'll be so obvious that everybody who reads, you know, goes online, you'll you, you won't miss it. So so it's, it's a a relatively soon and in New York City. So um, I hope that that happens and we can announce it. That's, awesome. that's a good tease. Very well done. Um, Thank well, you. You, Thank you. you mentioned New York City, and I have to. You know, I think most people just assume that anybody working in musical theater of some sort or another lives in New York City. But I, from what I've read online, you don't actually live in New York City, do you? Well, I do some of the time. Sometimes. So those of you okay. out there who want to work with me and think that my not living in New York City is a disqualifier, That's listen right. I'm carefully. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> listen carefully. I do have a home in New York City. It is a lovely home, and I can work from there. However... And I'm now I'm not being silly. Um, I uh, I've spent 32 years in New York City. I'm old and um, I am now living also in Columbus, Ohio, with my partner. Ah, and that's why I asked. Um, yes. And it's a, a wonderful uh, we like to say we're bi-coastal and um, <laughs> uh, there, there is a, there is a river here. It counts. And uh, it is a coast of sorts. It's more like a. What's the what's the what's the part that where the water meets the land of a river? What's that called? Is uh, that a delta? Riverbed, a delta. Yeah, so it's not really. Yeah, sorry, it's not. Well, okay, so it's not bicoastal. Well, okay, no, well, you it's just close enough. That. So, well, the Re-ride. reason I asked. The reason I asked is because I am a Columbus, Ohio native. So, uh, I I was fascinated when I saw that 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 out of all the places that someone with your experience and, and your, all of the projects that you uh, are involved in and continue to be involved in, you decided to pick Columbus, Ohio. What I, I, you know, me being a native, I know that there is a huge uh, arts community and it's a, it's a great place to live. It's it's a bigger city than people really realize, but what was it about Columbus uh, that made you decide to, uh, to move there of all places? Well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a simple old, I met a man and, ah. uh, 
and and <laughs> and it's as simple as it's as simple as that. And his life and work keep him here for the moment. Um, and so the question was, w- am I going to you know commute or you know let's just um, take the leap? And uh, and so I did. And I got I got an apartment here, and uh, eventually we moved in together, and we're now officially living in sin and um <laughs> but doesn't everyone in columbus yes. really yes and yes. and uh, and the wonderful thing about the wonderful thing about being here other than other than ohio state university because i went to the university of michigan so you can imagine the oh, cognitive yeah, you I, know. I'm, I'm an ohio state grad so i'm an ohio okay, state well, grad let's so just, that's hard let's just, let's just quickly pass over that and uh, my <laughs> condolences to your family oh. and, um, or your football uh, team that's fine Oh yeah, yeah. Like that football really going to matter when you yeah. get older and want to build a business. And um, and um, other than Ohio State University, which I now admire in a new whole new way, um, I uh, it's a it is a wonderful scene and a wonderful art scene and a wonderful uh, gay uh, community and a very supportive and loving and warm place. And I um and I don't know how long we're going to stay here. I have lots of work coming up in um uh los angeles as well and we may end up living there for a while and i travel an enormous amount um but i am the great news about technology is you know it's so easy to take my bit my bits with me as it were and um the, i don't know if you can print that um and uh and i can write songs from anywhere and I sometimes need to be with collaborators. And when I do, I get on a plane and I go work with them. I was just in LA last week working on a project and I was in London in December with another colleague working on a project and um, I'm working on a musical all on my own in New York. So um, I feel like New York Columbus is kind of the center and then I go to LA or I go to London. So it's really, uh, it's really been an enriching part of my middle-aged life. <laughs> well, that is just absolutely awesome. I love that you are able to kind of, you know, be in touch with the real America in Ohio and also uh, hang out with the heathens on the left and the right coast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ha- I should say we heathens. The heathens. That was a that was a song actually from the the movie the Disney movie Tarzan. You know Phil Collins wrote those songs, and there was a song called "Hanging Out with the Heathens." But then they they decided that was a bad idea. So yeah. I, you know I, I hate to say this, but I I'm the king of the dad jokes. But you know, living in Ohio and having all this uh, great stuff happening in New York and Los Angeles, do you feel like a big fish? <laughs> oh man, sorry. Wow! Wow! Let's just let's just go ninety seconds of radio silence after that. Let's just go. Let's just see what the FCC will say. Um, well, still an FCC. There probably isn't even an FCC anymore. I'm sure Donald yeah. Trump got rid of that. Uh, well, I will you know, I would... say. I will. Say, I'm guessing I'm the only person on my block in Columbus, Ohio, with a gold record on the wall. So uh-huh. I'm 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 looking at it right now, and I'm like, I bet you. In uh, you know, uh, in Manhattan, where I live in Lincoln Center area, I'm certainly the you know I may be the only one in my building, but probably not. Um, and um, I th- there is there is a you know it's really just about learning how to take care of myself. And I spent 30 years of my life uh, and and the years before I came to New York when I was in school, uh, really 
you know, demonically possessed. In fact, a, a friend of mine uh, whose son works on The Late Late Show, um, he's an actor and a uh, sometime director, and he's, you know, starting to get a foothold in show business. And my friend said, uh, seeing how difficult it's been for my son, and, and he's, you know, and he's lucky enough to have a job. I can't understand what you must have gone through. He, she said, it's easier to work for a corporation. And, mm. and I, I laughed at that and I thought, yeah, well, in 1987, there was no corporation that wanted me or, or that I wanted. And I spent all of my days, you know, trying to be somebody and something. And most of that didn't have to do with trying to be Andrew Lippa. It had to do with trying to be successful at the thing I hoped to be successful at. And I've reached a certain point where I've written 10 or 11 musicals and most of them are licensed and recorded and published and get done all over the world. And I get invited to places like Tokyo or, or Japan uh, or Seoul, where um, there are two new amazingly uh, big productions of Big Fish, speaking of, uh, happening later this year. And, and I have reached a place where I can, I, I, I can, I'm fortunate enough to say, you know what, I don't have to be in New York every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. And I was just there this past week, and I got the opportunity to see some new shows and uh, to commune with colleagues. And I also am fortunate enough to serve as the president of the board of the Dramatist Guild Foundation. And my work for DGF sends me back to New York. I'm in New York like every other week or every third week. So I do travel a lot. And, and uh, that's the, really, that's the exchange is that four or five hour trip. It's really at most, it's five hours from door to door. Um, that's the, that's the, the trade-off for uh, a very calming and wonderfully, uh, wonderfully loving uh, part of my life, which is what I'm getting living in Columbus. So I wouldn't have thought I could do this either. I thought I, thought I had more in common with Fred Ebb than I, than I re- realized, but Fred hated anywhere except New York City, and uh, well, not anywhere, but Fred loved the city, and I know that uh, famously, the story I know is he went to go visit John Kander and his partner at their 200-acre uh, mountaintop retreat, and that Fred could just hated being in the country so badly, he got on a bus and went back to New York City and wrote the song Colored Lights that night on the bus. <laughs> oh, wow. And because uh, he wanted so badly, he's like, I, I just said I'm going to stay in Manhattan. That's where I should be. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, I, I knew Fred a little it's bit. It's a good story. I bet, you, I bet it's true. Are you gay? Are you fay? Are you belting out Broadway? Do you saunter and sashay your way through life? Are you queer, Johnny Weir? Choosing bubbly over beer? Do you self-describe as husband and as wife? Words have come, words have gone, but this gay one lingers on. For it sings a song of promise to the crowd. Let's be bold. Let's be great. Let's be anything but straight. And get straight to telling you just why we're proud. It's a word. What a word can be useful and absurd. Up till now, our nomenclature wasn't kind. But that word, once we heard all the joy that it inferred, found its place inside each mouth, inside each mind. So to wit, we submit, if there's one word, this is it. Though its origins like us were met with scorn. Call me gay, through and through, gay and LGBTQ. Here's our overview of how this word was born. 
So uh, I've talked to you a number of times, and I always forget to ask you this. IBD, IBDB, the Internet Broadway Database, has you as being born in Leeds, England. Is this true? That is, that is true, sir. When did you? I was born in. When did you come to the U.S.? Um, I was born in Leeds, England, on uh, December twenty second, nineteen sixty four, to British parents and uh, British grandparents. So I am a third generation Brit. And um, in nineteen sixty six, my parents decided in the spring of that year to move to the United States, but they couldn't get into the United States without a transition in Canada. So we moved to Windsor, Canada, just across the river from Detroit and lived there for 18 months. And in October of 67, just not too long before my third birthday, we moved to suburban Detroit. And another wonderful connection in that story is that we moved into a house that three years later, we sold to Jeffrey Seller's family and Jeffrey Seller Jeffrey Zeller grew up in the bedroom I have been living in for three years. Jeffrey and I are the same age. And, uh, and of course, Jeffrey has gone on to become a you know, kind of successful producer. Love and, uh, uh, yeah, I think he produced Hamilton. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, you know, Jeffrey and I have walked through this life together and made shows in college together. And I'm the, Je- I'm, Jeffrey said to me, the reason I write musicals is, I think because Jeffrey said in college, you should write a musical and we wrote a musical together. And, um, you know, so there's all this connection to the Midwest. That's very, very pleasant and lovely. So in essence, you're sort of like, uh, uh, undercover British invasion there. You know, we could, you know, you could be part of that Angeloid Weber, Cameron McIntosh, uh, Andrew Lippa invasion of the British musicals on Broadway. Or, 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 or it's more like sort of like you know a man without a country. You know, it's like <laughs> the, the 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 Brits won't citizen have of the world. And, yeah, the Brits won't have me, and the Americans see me as an interloper, a carpetbagger. So you know, I, I, I so why not move to Columbus? That's ultimately, you know, it's named for the man who sailed across the ocean <laughs> in 1492. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> I'm Very an well explorer. I, I feel a kinship with. Yeah. Okay. I'll stop there. <laughs> well. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, this has been uh, such a joy. And like we said at the beginning. Oh, are we people, done? Oh, are we wrapping what, up? Is it over? It, we've been uh, talking for uh, almost 40 minutes now. We can keep going. Oh, we just didn't want to have, take too much of your time. To, oh, you're going to have to edit it, aren't you? People have already. Uh, what was that sound? Oh, what was that sound? The sound of radio turning off all over America. <laughs> I didn't even know what you mean. We're, we're not even recording yet. We're just, this no, is no, just, we're, war- we're just warming up. We got to still do the, the way, interview. <laughs> and by the way, what's a radio? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we 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 could have you back on a regular basis anytime any of these new projects get announced. We would love to talk about them because uh, this has been uh, absolutely wonderful. Despite the Ohio State Michigan rivalry, I, I can overlook that gladly uh, you know, I, uh, for you. Go go blue. That's all I can say. Go blue. Yeah. I mean, I can't turn around uh, in the musical theater community without hitting two or three Michigan grads. So I've gotten used to it at this point, but um, either way, uh, like we said, unbreakable is available pretty much anywhere you can get music. And we'll, once we get this episode ready, we'll figure out what the actual uh, URL is. Oh, we could send you, it to uh, Ghostlight. Ghostlight has it. Well, no, I meant for the, uh, for the other concerts that uh, are going to oh, be happening yeah, at yeah. the productions of the show, whenever that URL is actually live, uh, yes, we'll get that yes. out. We'll but. make sure, we'll make sure you get that. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on not only Unbreakable, but everything else you have going on. Um, always excited when there's new Andrew Lippa music to listen to. You're very generous, and thank you both for inviting me on the program. I really had a fun time. It's usually somebody other than us is the someone who wins. Ow! But what do you know? Just look at us go. Chromatic, a democratic usurper.